The sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is August 14th, 2020. Pain relief is a task that always keeps doctors very busy, especially if pain relief can be accomplished by a medication that is easily administered, given at a convenient frequency, with no adverse effects, and with no addiction potential, especially to fight the so-called opioid epidemic. And if that medication contributes to healing the pain-causing condition, then that's a perfect medication for pain relief. As a result of the endless search for a perfect pain reliever, the University of Southern California Health Sciences presented a new study on July 13, 2020, revealing that kappa opioids, a significantly less addictive opioid, may both preserve cartilage in joints and also ease pain in osteoarthritis. Sorry, UCLA, we have to accentuate the positive regardless of the source. Go Bruins! On August 11, 2020, we woke up to the news that Russia's government registered the first COVID-19 vaccine in the world. President Vladimir Putin stated that his own daughter was inoculated with the vaccine and that she is feeling well and has a high number of antibodies. While some celebrated the Russian big step for humanity, some experts expressed concerns about safety including the World Health Organization, warning Russia to adhere to standard protocols for testing a vaccine. Coronavirus has brought more than a disease to the world. It has brought extensive material for political debate and controversy. There is a joke that circulated in social media that may be relevant in this case. A patient asks her doctor, when will this coronavirus thing be over? And the doctor answers, I don't know, I'm not that involved in politics. We hope humanity steps up and joins forces to overcome this devastating disease. Welcome to Rio Bravo QE, the podcast of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program, recorded weekly from Bakersfield, California, the land where growing is happening everywhere. The Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program trains residents and students to prevent illnesses and bring health and hope to our community. Our mission, to seek, teach, and serve. Sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, providing compassionate and affordable care to patients throughout Kern and Fresno counties since 1971. As doctors, let's never forget that we have the opportunity to do more good in one day than most people have in a month. Dr. Sunil Dand. Hello, dear residents. Welcome again to another episode of our podcast. And uh, that quote is very significant for our time, for our career, because we know that we have many opportunities to do good every single day of our lives. So just think about today. How many opportunities do you have to do good today? As a doctor, you have those opportunities more than any other profession. So make sure that you use that privilege wisely. And because it's, an, it's really a privilege to be instruments to relieve pain, to find a solution to a problem, to bring peace and happiness to your fellow men. And for me, it's also a privilege to have Dr. Gonzalez here with us today. He's a very experienced doctor and with whom I've had multiple conversations and we always talk about anything, about politics, about economics, about religion, about anything. And I'm glad that he's here with us today. 
So welcome, Dr. Gonzalez. Thank hey. you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Arriaza. And uh, so we're going to start with the first question of the podcast. Who are you? Well, my name is Alejandro Gonzalez Perez. I'm a second year resident in the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program here in Clinica Sierra Vista, Bakersfield, California. I was born originally in Cuba, where I, where I finished my med school and completed a medical residency in family medicine, and then another residency in radiology. I'm a father of three children, two boys and one girl. I enjoy spending time with my family and friends. My favorite mu music, Latin music. Favorite sport, I like to go to the gym, but I enjoy seeing martial arts combat. Favorite movies, action, fiction, and of course, martial arts. So I think, Dr. Gonzalez, that you might like The Karate Kid. Oh, yes. It's in Netflix. So you, I actually watched it this last weekend with my kids. And actually, there is going to be a sequel. Uh, it's called Cobra Kai. So don't miss mm, it. Sounds interesting. It's going to be actually with the original actors from The Karate Kid. Mm. So you guys can watch it. Okay. And uh, so tell me, Dr. Gonzalez, what do you learn this week? Well, currently I'm on the cardiology rotation. My number one goal in this rotation is optimized treatment for patients in the inpatient and outpatient settings. For example, I'm learning how to better handle medication for heart failure, coronary artery disease, hypertension, and arrhythmias. And almost all the patients have combined diagnosis. For example, if you need um, a better medication for heart failure or heart failure combined with coronary artery disease or heart failure with coronary artery disease and hypertension, you need to choose a, a, a better medication for them. So you need to choose a medication that it, it needs to be useful for both, for both diagnosis, okay? That's great. In addition, my knowledge about, I have, I have improved my knowledge about diagnostic tests. For example, ECG, echocardiogram, cardiac cath, troponin management. Also, I have learned how to improve the interaction between different services in the hospital. I haven't had any previous rotation with internal medicine, but in this rotation, I'm spending time with some internal medicine residents and it's being positive for me. I'm glad to hear that. It's not a secret that sometimes we have a rough interaction with our internal medicine residents, but I'm glad that you are getting along with them. Mm -hmm. And we love you guys. If you're listening to this this podcast, we know that uh, we have our differences, but we all work in the same team in the same hospital. So I'm glad that you are getting along with them. So uh, I understand that you wanna talk about a topic today that is relevant to cardiology. So, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Yes. Today, I would like to talk about venous thromboembolism, also known like a BTE. BTE refers to a blood clot that starts in a vein. It is, it is the third leading vascular diagnosis after heart attack and stroke, affecting between 300,000 and 
600,000 Americans each year. There are two types. The most common presentation of VTE are deep vein thrombosis, also known as DVT of the lower extremity, and pulmonary embolism, PE. So that's so you want to talk about DVT today. That's great. Mm -hmm. So uh, the pathophysiology, we have to review it a little bit. So there is a virtuous triad. You want to talk about that? Yeah, the virtuous triad proposed that the DVT is the result of three conditions. The first condition is alteration in blood flow. For example, if you have a patient that they have an ecstasis in the in the vein of the leg is more susceptibility or you have a increased susceptibility to the to develop a blood clot also a patient that has a vascular endothelial injury and also alteration in the elements of the blood or element elements of the that could be related with the coagulation and the platelets okay okay so stasis endothelial endothelial injury and alterations of the blood. Okay, those are the, those are the three components of this triad. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me about the causes of DVT. So also in B, the causes of the DVT can be divided in two big groups, hereditary and acquired. Between hereditary causes, you can find factor fire, lighting, mutation, prothrombin, gene mutation, protein S deficiency, protein C deficiency, and antithrombin deficiency. So those are the hereditary conditions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, you can find acquired risk factor or also that those risk factor can provoke a, a, a thrombo. For example, prior thrombotic event, recent major surgery, sense of a central venous catheter, trauma, immobilization, malignancy, pregnancy, the use of oral contraceptive pills, that's a very important one, myeloproliferative disorders, antiphospholipid syndrome, and a number of other medical illnesses. Another condition that is not a condition per se, but it's more like a, a style of life is like the seating disease. It's defined as a condition of increased sedentary behavior associated with adverse health effect. So the seating disease, so that means that if you sit too much, you sit too long, is that where it is? Exactly. Okay, so I heard that sitting too long is becoming kind of like the new smoking because it's a risk factor for DVTs and other cardiovascular and pulmonary conditions. So I, I like how you put it, sitting disease, that's nice. Mm -hmm. So there is a term that we use normally with DVTs is provoked or unprovoked. So Ye tell me about it. Yes, the term unprovoked DVT implies that there is not an evident cause for DVT. And in contrast, a provoked DVT is usually caused by a no event, for example, the, if you know that if the patient is pregnant, or if the patient is using uh, OCP, or if the patient has a malignancy, or for example, a lung cancer or a pancreas cancer, 
of if the patient have a um, prolonged immobilization or after a major surgery, you know that is an event that is provoking this uh, the DVT. DVT. Okay, and then also um, proximal and distal DVTs. Yes. So tell us about it. Exactly. See, yes, proximal DVT are the worst one because the proximal DVT are located in the popliteal, femoral, or iliac vein. Why are the worst one? Because those are more proximal to the lungs, so they can travel in the in the in in the shape or in the form or embolus to the lungs, so it can provoke a pulmonary embolism. So, fortunately, they are in the less presentation of the D, of the DVT, and the other one are the distal DVT, are the more common, are less dangerous. So the distal, distal DVT are located below the knee and is confined to the calf vein, peroneal, posterior, anterior tibial, and muscular vein of, of the calf. Okay, so they are more common. The distal are more common, but they are less dangerous. Exactly. And the proximal are less common, but they are more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, also, I understand that DVT can be asymptomatic. Yes, right. yes. Mostly when the a, D, a DVT is symptomatic, it's referred that to the presence, of course, of symptoms that usually lead to the radiology confirmation. For example, if you have a, a those symptoms that, that, for example, we are going to talk about the symptom of lower extremity DVT, like a throbbing or cramping pain in one leg, and swelling of the, the leg, a warm, uh, I mean increased temperature, in the leg or around the area of pain. Also called another symptom could be a increase or the darkness or redness in the area. And also the presence of varices or, or you can also palpate the, the induration of the vein. So when you have this uh, presence of this symptom, you, are, you need to go to the radiology uh, confirmation. But sometimes you have like a incidental finding of a DVT on imaging. So, so those patients that have an imaging for another, uh, uh, for example, you you have a patient that you are doing a duplex ultrasound of an artery, mm -hmm. and you find in the vein a, a thrombus. Oh, okay. Yes. Or you can you are doing a CT of the chest for for another, for a long examination, for a, a, a trauma, trauma mm -hmm. and you can find a, a chronic or, or a acute uh, pulmonary embolism. Okay. So, um, yeah, there is a, that's important to remember that some people can have diabetes with no symptoms. And um, so, you already talked about the symptoms and, and something that I want to remind the residents, you know, when you have a, unilateral swelling, you know, that's very important to rule out DVT. You have to think about it all the time. So if you have in, you're in doubt, yeah, you, are, you don't see very well if this, if it's really asymmetric or not, you should just grab a measuring tape, measure the legs, and then compare both of them to see if there is any discrepancy between the two legs. And then you can, uh, you know, you can increase your suspicion for DVT if you find a, a discrepancy there. So if you are suspecting and a patient has DVT, so what should you do, Dr. Gonzalez? 
Well, the gold standard uh, imaging for for to rule out the DVT is the duplex uh, ultrasound, the duplex scan. It can detect blockage of blood clot in the deep vein. It's a is a gold standard imaging test to the diagnose DVT. Great. I'm glad that we have ultrasound in our clinic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And a good point to Dr. Verna Marquez for having POCOS in our clinic. And you guys, you residents are learning a lot. But we're all learning about POCOS. So it's, um, it's something very important to, to remember that we can rule it out. Here in clinic, guys, you can do it. So normally what you we can find in the in the in the Doppler ultrasound of the of the vein when it's a positive for DVT, if it's acute, it's a dilated vein with a decrease of the compression of the vein and decreased flow in the vein. So we can talk uh, we can talk more about that in in, in uh, any lecture okay. that we can do about we can do about uh, DVT. That's I nice. Imagine. I remember doing ultrasound sometimes on the legs, and I remember this sign. You know, when you see the the vein collapse completely, like it looks like a kiss, like okay. like a mouth that is giving a kiss. Mm -hmm. So if you can compress the vein completely, that most likely there is not a thrombus there. But when the vein is not able to compress all the way, then you can have a thrombus there. Exactly. So if you don't have an ultrasound in a clinic, what else can you do? So another test that you can do is a block sample for a D-dimer. is It's a good test, but it's a very sensitive, but not specific. So you can, if the test is negative, you can rule out DVT. But if it's positive, you cannot rule in DVT. Okay. <laughs> it does, I don't know if it makes sense, but yeah. <laughs> okay. it's a little tricky. Yeah, it makes sense. It's negative, you don't have a DVT. If it's positive, you might have a DVT or you might not have it. Exactly. We don't know. Okay. So what other tests um, can you do? So before the the ultrasound, the you know radiology has to use a contrast. They need to they injected contrast in the large vein in the leg or in the ankle, and then take some picture or uh, X-ray in those this contrast traveling into the vein, and then is is they see some defect in the in the vein, so they uh, can infer that there is a, a a clot in in the vein. Okay, so the yeah. contrast venography. Okay, the contrast venography. So exactly. what about uh, what's the, the the use of MRI and CT scan? Yes, you yes. can use MRI and CT scan. These tests provide imaging of vein and clot, but they are not generally used for diagnosivity except for CT of the angio CT of the chest that is more like for pulmonary embolisms. Okay, so uh, duplex ultrasound is the standard exactly. study for diagnosing DVT. That's it's, great. It's cheap, it's affordable, you can do it by yourself, and it's beside. Mm -hmm. It's non-invasive. Exactly. So the treatment for DVTs, let's talk about that, that a little bit. Yes. Fortunately, we have the anticoagulants. Anticoagulants Anticoagulants of the population known then like a blood thinners is the mainstay of therapy for patients with D DVT. Anticoagulation is indicated for all patients with proximal DVT and select cases of distal DVT. This is very important because DVT, proximal DVT are the more dangerous. We need to remember that. So distal DVT, sometimes we don't need to treat it. 
To decide of anticoagulation, we must weigh on the benefits versus the risk of bleeding. The primary objective of anticoagulation is the prevention of border thrombosis and the early and late complications. Major early complications of DVT include clot extension, pulmonary embolisms, major bleeding, and death. Late complications include recurrent clot, post-thrombotic syndrome, this is the most frequent one, and chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. Okay, so pulmonary embolism is something that we're always scared of, yes. right? Because it can be very fatal. It can be fatal. So that's why we have to make sure that we treat DVT on time so we can prevent this um, feared complication. So uh, when you use injectable anticoagulants, what are your options there? Yes, we have uh, two options, uh, injectable or oral. So injectable is more the, for the hospital setting, and we have like a injectable in, intravenous injectable, like a unfractionate, unfractionate heparin that we can use like a QA hour or heparin drip if we need to, to be more aggressive. Or we can use a low venous, like it's the low molecular weight heparin, and we can use the fondoparinus like isocutaneously, like a low venous. Okay, so in the oral anticoagulants, we uh, know classically uh, warfarin. Yes, coumadin or warfarin is the most commonly used before the appearance of the novel oral anticoagulants or direct oral anticoagulants. So warfarin is very good anticoagulant, but it's the same risk of bleeding, and we we need to do a following test with the INR, and because they need to be between two and three, okay. with a median two point five. So it's most very, patients, okay. Yeah, we need a very strict follow with the, this patient. So and with the different with the new antiguolan Daviga Travan Rebox. Ribadafsavan and Apikasavan. It's difficult to pronounce. It's better to say uh, liquids and Sarelto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, liquids, yeah. Yeah, liquid and Sarelto is the most common use. So, that is a, a you can treat those, this patient with those anticoagulants and you don't need any test except for clinical uh, uh, suspicion of, of bleeding. You know, the most frequent is GI bleeding, rectal bleeding. Uh, bleeding in your gums is the most frequent bleeding that you can observe in those patients. So something that I remember from my board exam from family medicine, so the most common medication-related complication that takes people to the hospital is warfarin. Yes. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not even opioids because we always think it's opioids, but it's actually warfarin. It causes a lot of uh, side effects or major bleeding. But the other um, anticoagulants, you know, the NOAC and DOAC, they can also cause bleeding, so that's why they need to be monitored clinically. So you don't have a, you don't need to do the INR, but at least clinically, these patients need need to be monitored or do self monitoring in their home in their homes. So, uh, what other options do you have besides the anticoagulation? So for those patients that, for example, in acute setting that is going to the hospital and uh, for some reason has a vascular compromise of the leg, 
that the return of the the blood from the, the from the leg is very compromised. I mean, the club in the vein is very occlusive. They have a special DVT and they need to be treated with thrombolytic, commonly referred to as a clot buster, or by dissolving the clot. They have a higher risk of causing bleeding compared to the anticoagulant, so they are reserved for severe cases. Okay, and what about patients who cannot get anticoagulants or thrombolytics? Well, those patients, when anticoagulant cannot be used or don't work well enough, a filter can be inserted inside in, in the inferior uh, vena cava, a large vein that brings blood back to the heart, and then to capture or trap an embolus. I mean, is there some embolus traveling from the those major veins in the legs, and they, be, uh, they are going to capture this embolus before reach the lung. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just a trap for the clot right there in exactly. the inferior vena cava. Mm -hmm. So, and um, just as a reminder, the IVC filters, they need to be removed mm -hmm. so they don't have to, to stay there forever. Um, just make sure that, uh, you know, you refer the patients um, in a timely manner to get the IVC filters removed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so thrombectomy or embolectomy is another procedure that we can do to remove the, the blood clot directly you know, through a surgery or through a, some kind of surgical procedure. Mm -hmm. So uh, it involves it involves the removal of the blockage in mm -hmm. the lungs caused by the clot in a patient with uh, pulmonary embolism. Exactly. Okay. Okay, Dr. Gonzalez, um, why do you think this knowledge is important for you? Well, in primary practice, we encounter encounter patients with these symptoms that they miss suspicion for DVT, this unilateral uh, swelling with pain and uh, warm and redness, and we need to to be focused that they it can be a DVT and to prevent this major complication they, that there is, uh, this can be provoke pulmonary embolism. We need to uh, be move for, further and, um, you know, treat uh, on time. We move and uh, be able to diagnose and treat this patient. Um, just to remember that the DVT should be low the myocardial infarction and stroke in frequency. So they're very common. Exactly. Yeah. So um, how do you get interested in this topic, in DVT? So actually, uh, I got interested in this topic because of many previous patients I had with this condition. So I investigated multiple sources, including, of course, up to date, MESCAP. But this knowledge has been accumulated over the year of this study. Um, when I was radiology and ultrasound technician, I, I had to do a lot of bilateral uh, uh, lower vein ultrasound. I, I, I saw a lot of a clock in the bank, so yeah. I know how important is that. And I know we use Dr. Gonzalez all the time when we have a question in the, you know, in the inpatient team, hey, can you read this CT scan for us very fast? And he can tell us, you know, if there is a pulmonary embolism, he, he can, he, he's very good. So I'm glad that he's in our team all the time. Thank you. And uh, so what other sources do you use to get this knowledge? Yeah, you can use, uh, I mean, I use uh, normally family practice notebook, Hippocrates, uh, hospitalist handbook, that's the most commonly used all the time. Okay, well, those are good sources of information. And 
Of course, the topic of DBT is deeper than this, but we just wanted to give you guys the basics, you know, about the the diagnosis, the the presentation, and a b little brief about the, the the treatment. So I hope you guys liked it. And um, remember DVT when you see patients with leg pain, swelling. You know, remember DVT. So Dr. Gonzalez, thank you so much for being here. And uh, do you want to have any final words right now? Well, thank you for inviting me. I think this is my first time in the radio, so I will enjoy hearing by myself. Okay, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much, and uh, have a nice week. Bye-bye. Speaking Medical. Hi, this is Valerie, and this is Speaking Medical. Phlegmesia cerulea dolens. This means painful blue inflammation. It is an uncommon but severe form of DVT, which results from extensive blockage of a thrombus. And this blockage is in the major and collateral veins of an extremity. The phenomenon was discovered by Jonathan Tone, a vascular surgeon in Milwaukee. Phlegmesia cerulea dolens is a precursor of frank venous gangrene. It is characterized by severe swelling, cyanosis, and blue discoloration. So the next time you look down at a leg and it looks more like it's from the Blue Man Crew or a Smurf movie, just think, Phlegmesia Cerulea Dolens. My name is Valerie, and I am here to present to you the Spanish por favor. Coagulo. Coagulo may be a word difficult to pronounce, but it is very important in the context of DVT, MI, or stroke. You may guess what coagulo means by remembering the word anticoagulant. Yes, coagulant means blood clot. Señor Perez, usted tiene un coagulo en las piernas. Means, Mr. Perez, you have a blood clot in your legs. Coagulo may be used by a patient who also has blood clots in her menstrual period during an episode of menorrhagia or during other excessive bleeding. Now you know the Spanish word of the week, coagulo. All right, team, I've got your medical joke for the week. What's long, black, and hangs from an asshole? A stethoscope. <laughs> oh, gosh. Doctor, my son ate a firefly. Why did he do that? He wanted a light snack. <laughs> doctor, doctor, I've had a terrible stomachache after eating tamales. Well, were they fresh? I don't know. How can you tell? How do they look like when you remove them from the corn husk? Were you supposed to remove the corn husk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> now we conclude our episode number 23, Blood Clots DVT. Dr. Gonzalez explained the basics of deep vein thrombosis, DVT, and reminded us that DVT can easily be diagnosed by ultrasound and that timely treatment prevents acute and chronic complications. 
Phlegmasia cerulean dolens is just another way to say painful blue inflammation, a severe type of DVT that occurs when the major and collateral veins in a limb are occluded. Then we're given the advice by Dr. Chiavelli to recall the word anticoagulant to remember the Spanish word coagulo, blood clot. And we cannot finish this episode without mentioning the name of the first registered COVID-19 vaccine. It's called Sputnik V. We tried several times to record that name in the intro, but we could not stop laughing. We honestly hope the Sputnik V is a great success regardless of its amusing name. This is the end of Rio Bravo Q Week. We say goodbye from Bakersfield, a special place in the beautiful Central Valley of California, United States, a land where growing is happening everywhere. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicasiervista.org or visit our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. Our podcast team this week is Hector Ariaza, Alyssa Dermagrichin, Alejandro Gonzalez, Valerie Civelli, Gina Cha, and Ariana Lundquist. Audio by Suraj Murthia. See you soon!